A remarkable discovery by Enterprise. A time portal, Captain. Strangely compelling, isn't it? Has serious consequences. McCoy has somehow changed history. Germany. One Second World War. Now the crew must travel to the past. We seem to be a lot of step with the time. To save Earth's future. I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Joan Collins star. Save her. And millions will die who did not die before. Star Trek. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and holding me back from trying to save Edith Keller from getting hit by a truck are... Don't do it, Notch. <laughs> this is Bill Boy One. <laughs> <laughs> he was busy holding him back. So, you know, it, it just took a while for him to get back to his mic. Okay. Rudikus Baker. <laughs> Bowen. And Emily Bowen Marler. This is Strange New Takes, a Star Trek-themed pod that we started to address the episodes that were going to come out of Strange New Worlds, but that's a little ways away. So then we've been like covering all new Star Trek, and now we don't have new Star Trek, so we're shaking things up and continuing our Moral Dilemma series. This week we are addressing City on the Edge of Forever. Follow us on social media. Uh, that's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, definitely tell all your friends about the pod. Uh, we always like to get new listeners. And I would suggest that if you, you know, tell your friends about the pod and then uh, if they don't actually listen to it, you know, are they really a good friend? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you might... 2020, 20, or I just said this. Well, ugh. this is the year where we reevaluate our relationships, everybody. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they clearly well, have poor judgment. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, are you our friend if you haven't given us a five-star rating on iTunes? Yes, you are. Of course, you are. We don't we don't measure your friendship based on whether you've you've rated us because uh, we're good people like that. But you should rate us well on iTunes. If you do, I will read out your rating on the pod. And this is super important. If you do not want to be spoiled on a TOS episode that. <laughs> has not run, I think, I mean, this one's been live for 54 years, looking at the air date, uh, 54 years, two months and a few days <laughs> somewhere, yeah, so so if you, if you uh, don't want to be spoiled, uh, go watch it and then listen to this, uh, otherwise, um, I think we'll have a very interesting take on it, so you can listen to us first and then go watch it. There you go. Well, and next week we'll be covering Dear Doctor, which is the 12th episode of this first season of Enterprise. It is a really good episode of Enterprise, I have to emphasize as well. Uh, Enterprise obviously gets a bit, bit of hate. And if you haven't uh, become one of those folks that's like, wow, Enterprise is actually pretty good. Now that I go back, I actually love this theme song. It's the best theme song in all of Star Trek. In fact, Star Trek shouldn't exist. It should just be Enterprise. And that's it. Uh, I'm going to forget the rest. If you're not one of those people, this could be your entry into that world. Dear Doctor, watch it next before our next podcast episode. But this week, we're going to be discussing The City on the Edge of Forever. It is the 28th episode of the first season of Star Trek uh, ever. 
Uh, it aired on 6th April 1967 as Rudy was alluding to. It was remastered on 7th October 2006. Very precise date for a remaster there. Hmm. And uh, it was written by Harlan Ellison and directed by Joseph Pevney. That's a tongue twister name. And the in-universe date was 2267 and 1930. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll just start us off with a summary. Uh, the So here's the episode summary from uh, uh, Memory Alpha. Uh, and it is uh, suffering from an accidental overdose of I'm just messing up all my vowels here. Uh, suffering from an accidental overdose of cordrazine, Dr. Leonard McCoy is sent back to 1930s Earth and saves a woman's life, unwittingly changing the course of time and erasing the Enterprise and the Federation from history. Don't so, do drugs. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> accidentally. Uh, intentionally do whatever you want. Just don't do them accidentally. Uh, our strange new takes... Who's got one, folks? Well, I'll go first, because the notes <laughs> tell me that I'm going first. Um, first of all, I will wholeheartedly endorse buying a very heavy-duty parka. Now, you can get the Canada Goose ones if you've got, like, 500 bucks to 1000 bucks to spare. They're very, very good. Or you can get the ones from Uniqlo, which are built to the same quality, in my opinion, but don't have that awesome patch on the arm. Uh, I was skeptical of parkas for many years. I only had puffer coats and, and uh, other stuff. But this most recent Polar Vortex has completely converted me to to thinking that these heavy-duty parkas are absolutely worth it. I can stand outside in negative 10-degree weather and be warm for at least, like, 45 minutes. It's insane. Um, now... As far as The City on the Edge of Forever goes, this episode was not at all what I was expecting. I'd, I'd read the premise before, and I'd, you know, you know, seen Carl in Discovery being like, I am the guardian on the edge of forever. <laughs> First of all, they completely, like, remastered that line in Discovery. It sounds a lot more, like, echoey than it is in this episode. And we don't actually, like... This moral dilemma, which I thought, like, the whole episode was just going to be them, like, being like, do we kill her? Do we let her die? Like, what happens? It just comes in, in like, the last five minutes, and then it's just done like that. There's not, like, a lot of time spent on the plot. Uh, most of this episode is is Spock building a primitive computer and Kirk falling in love, which, I mean, okay, cool. I guess that's, like... Very hardcore science fiction back then. The 60s are like, building a computer. Wow. Kirk falling in love. This is amazing. I want to spend hours on this. But now going back, it's like, man, get 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 to the dilemma, y'all. I, 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 when's this going to kick in? You know? So anyway, that, that that's my strange new take. Yeah. Um, do the Uniqlo parkas have a patch? Uniqlo has got a good, good uh, insignia, right? No, no patch. No. They they are completely bare. So you could buy on Alibaba like <laughs> a bunch of Canada Goose patches, put them on your unique local, and then you know. Well, I have a related take. The polar vortex has got us all the way down here in Texas as well. Um, so I hope people are staying safe. But an interesting thing for me is, um, as it gets colder outside, even though um, we maintain the same temperature inside it still feels colder. So 70 degrees inside the house when it's say 50 outside versus 70 degrees inside the house when it's 
20 outside is a different 70 for me um and and i, I don't know if it's um the thermostat working differently or some kind of weird relativity but it's just a different 70 just colder um Texas has a very different definition of a polar vortex. <laughs> that is what I'm learning from this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He did say 20s. 20s, that's... that. Oh, I thought he said 50s. <laughs> well, no, he said 50s to start. He was saying 50 versus 20. Oh, okay. 50s cold as well, don't worry. Yeah, I mean, you have a point yeah. there. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're kind of worried. That we, we have one or two freezes every season, but um, continuous... Um, below freezing temperatures we're worried about our pipes and stuff like that so hopefully that holds um this episode um i think all of you have seen um the the meme or, or the the gif right which has spock going fascinating right I'll, um, i had that exact same expression through the through the episode except i may replace it with appalling at times but um <laughs> but yeah appalling uh, i'll just leave it at that for now uh, so I, I'm going to continue us on this, uh, this polar vortex discussion here. Uh, and so mine for, for this week is, uh, keep your ladies warm people. I, my, for my chickens, uh, this is different for everyone's chickens. They're, they're usually pretty, uh, cold hardy, but, uh, my rescued ladies have some pretty floppy gigantic combs. So, uh, Dragonette in particular doesn't seem to do well under, uh, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, she just gets some frozen water on her comb, and to avoid sp- uh, uh, frostbite, I've been keeping them in my basement. And they don't like that too much, but uh, they seem to be adjusting. It's kind of a vacation uh, where they just sit quietly and uh, scream. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> which is so... when the lights are off, they sit quietly. When yes. the lights are on, they scream. Yeah. When birds, when you turn the lights off, that's that's sleep time, and then you turn the lights on, and that's screaming time. So uh, yeah, for for the episode, uh, just my strange new take is I don't think anyone travels in time travels back in time to Earth uh, better than McCoy, Spock, and Kirk. I just the, it's just a, a fabulous team every single time, and I just I love it, and I'm, I'm so glad that they gave us uh, Star Trek Four like after this because uh, it's just I I love that shit. My strange new take: I think we have a theme developing. It takes a whole hell of a lot of work to uh, make a cold weather. Uh, crisis shelter happen in the basement of your church so that's what we've been doing this week because of the um extremely cold temperatures our church kind of stepped in to fill the gap our city does not have enough beds to shelter those who are unsheltered and so we're sheltering like 12 to 14 people in our basement along with a number of other churches far too few churches for how many churches we have in our city but that is a conversation for another day. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. I'm tired. So you all fortunately can't see what I look like right now. But the, these poor fellow podcasters can. So anyway, so my strange new take for the... Although, you know, I was thinking this was an interesting episode to watch in the midst of, yeah. uh, you know, providing shelter for those who are not sheltered. You know, I was going to ask was doing any some of, the- of that. Yeah, so um, I have a comment about that a little bit later in the episode. But um, my strange new take actually for this episode is that soft focus on women makes me viscerally angry. 
it's every single woman that oh, Kirk meets in the entire gosh. series. Although I have a theory that this is the episode. I don't know. I'm going to have to go watch. I don't really want to watch all of the original series again. But <laughs> So Kirk isn't as much of a scad as he's played out to be. But he is in like the third season. Like he, that, all that stuff mm-hmm. that people say about Kirk, that doesn't happen as much in the first two seasons. It's more a third season thing. I think it's because he was so damaged by what happened with Edith Keeler. So there's my other strange new take. Ooh. There we go. Okay. Um, So today I had a haircut and my stylist's last name was Barber. (laughs) Fabulous. (laughs) Why would you choose any other stylist, you guys? I mean, if you could go with a barber named Barber, you know, that's, I think that's mm-hmm. much better, much more qualified. Um, Was there a name Barbara Barber? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that would be the pinnacle. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, then you don't even need to practice. You just, out of the womb, you're a natural. You can just do it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, um, it had been a while since I had watched this one. Um, one of the few... TOS episodes, I think, where there's real emotion. Like, I don't know, I felt for Kirk in the end. Um, and I think it was a, 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 you know, a pretty well done causality paradox. Um, I think it was approached well and, and they did it justice. So I understand why people people uh, hold this up as being one of the best TOS episodes. I think, and it, you know, it's, I mean, like all of them, they're corny and whatever, but um, I think it, it stands the test, test of time pretty well. <clears throat> all right well let's dive into discussing I, th- I don't think we need to recap any more of this episode it's basically just that they get into the, the they um mccoy gets an overdose they get to the planet they jump through the portal they find out after fall after kirk falls in love with this lady that they meet they find out that she's gonna die and her not dying is probably what causes the, causes the um uh, Enterprise to disappear and the future to go haywire and at the end McCoy turns up and they have to stop McCoy from trying to save her life when she's going to get hit by a truck so uh, that, you, that's you missed the, the crucial point of killers assassins uh, <laughs> for like a good 15 minutes of this episode oh, so yeah. What is that about? I don't even know. You, you know how they have that like epic sax guy 10 hour loop on YouTube? It's just have McCoy, Killer's Assassin Screams <laughs> 10 hour loop on, on YouTube. That's what we should do. It's um, like the, the anti mindfulness right, exercise. <laughs> right, there you go. Adam, why don't you take us through the moral dilemma and your questions about, about how we should navigate it? Yeah, so. Um, I, I think so I, I have seen this episode before uh, but I had forgotten some of the subtleties of it and uh, something that actually intrigued me as as you're we going in is that uh, uh, there's a big difference between uh, the original like this episode dealing with sort of the uh oh should we kill a person or like what what should we do to like fix the timeline in uh, other instances of where Star Trek sends us back in time we often have like immediately we we, we know what happened to screw up the timeline and we know like that it is a bad thing uh so like there was no moment where as they're going back in time we see like earth assimilated and whatnot uh it's actually quite late in the episode where we actually find out that oh there are bad things beyond just that 
there's no enterprise above us. Um, so I, I guess the, the moral dilemma, and it's also a little bit complicated because we have, uh, there's the basic moral dilemma of, uh, should we kill this lady? Uh, but uh, for a while, we don't even know if we should, if that's the thing. It might be that she dies uh, and that's that McCoy accidentally killed her or that, uh, yeah, so we're not sure for a, a long time whether we're supposed to be saving her or killing her. Um, and I guess uh, for for me, it was it was just interesting to have so, uh, not really have that much information going into this a, as far as uh, what sort of our moral dilemma is, because I was expecting a very straightforward thing that we knew about the whole time and we'd be dealing with it. Yeah, and I think I think we find out that that she's that um, you know that pivot point as you said later on in the game. Um, so keeps us guessing. And uh, do we really know what happens to that guy who finds McCoy? Is, is that his phaser, and then he like phasers himself. And That's disappears? what I was wondering too. Did like he what happens to him? Over- I thought <clears throat> he overloaded it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and like, so- wait, are they gonna? You know, play a shell game here and like figuring out which what is the real event that causes you know the butterfly effect. Um, but then I guess nothing happened to that that guy. They never really closed that. Yeah, we need answers. Season he four was, he was people... going to focus all on on that guy. If that guy had survived, um... he would have gone on to become double Hitler. So it's good that he did. <laughs> did you say du- double Hitler? Yeah. It's also. <laughs> It's also a pretty sad commentary of how on how little value we place on those who are yeah. unsheltered or you know. Yeah, it was a weird. Or... It was a weird joke for them to make. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I get to some degree that that was sort of the, um, that was maybe setting the tone a little bit. Like okay, like we we mentioned some like things where there's World War Two. Maybe we we don't we want to like bring the tone light a bit. So like we're just gonna murder a random person in like a funny way. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, it is a strange sort of punching down moment that the that the writers went for, where we just like killed a hobo for no reason, and that's just like how we didn't work, like didn't worry about anything like that. Like it was just well, but weird, I, I totally. don't think it was played for comedy though. That moment, I think there was some comedy comedic elements in this, but I think that moment was more shown as like this person rifling through McCoy's pockets and using technology that he didn't understand. And I read it as mm-hmm. more like a moment where um, it's the dangers of putting advanced technology in the hands of folks who don't understand it. Like that, that was my read on that particular yeah. moment. There are other, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that there's like some problematic treatments, especially the rice uh, maker ear part with Spock. Like that was oh, kind of gross. Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, so, but I mean, it's, it's, I think, I think the, the dude, with the, with the phaser, I think that was more just, and I think also you got to remember like sci-fi in terms of how complex it is right now, like showing somebody get accidentally phasering themselves, it would need to be a much more complex thing. And like, you'd have to like explore like it a little bit more back then that would have just been like, Oh my God, like future technology. It, it can have like mm. dire consequences. I think it would have been more apparent. I think we've just come to expect some slightly more sophisticated treatment of that sort of thing. So that's how I read that particular moment, I guess. Yeah, and interesting. I, I I hadn't really considered the the way that that it would have been read at the time versus how how it is now because I I just kind of assumed that uh, it was 
for laughs that were just like killing someone that we didn't care about. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I um, didn't I didn't read it as being comedic either, but I but it was weird. It was almost like there was like a le- deleted scene or I was expecting McCoy then to need the phaser later on and not have it or something or for it to tie in in some way and it really didn't. Yeah, it was, I guess it, it was did, definitely it, like it was a throwaway scene regardless. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does okay, so so there is one benefit I guess of having that phaser go away which is that McCoy doesn't have a deadly piece of technology on him at all times so it's more there's more of an explanation of why he can then be safe stumbling into a soup kitchen and he doesn't just like start firing at people so it like takes away that like advanced piece of technology that he might have on him otherwise you know so so that that might be one reason it was written in and, and not create that Voyager kind of time travel situation where you find old technology in the past that, that kick-started the semiconductor oh, revolution right. and <laughs> and that kind of stuff, maybe. Right, uh, it's interesting. Right, he, right. He, he never used that phaser when he was hiding on the planet and there were, like, four people trying to, like, hold him down and, and he was just ranting. So I, I guess it is what it is. It's it's a, um, a plot end and then... You know, I mean, it was the same it, guy who was sitting next to them, I think, when they were getting food, right? The guy who was like, oh, we have to listen to this sermon. It's the same person, right? The same uh, the same man I think who, so. who phasers himself. Yeah, I don't know. But, um... Interesting. I, 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 I hadn't connected that uh, at the time, but I'm, I'm wondering if there's, is there supposed to be some sort of connection between that? Or is it just like, uh, he's a dude we saw, so we might as well kill him. <laughs> Give him a full, it could be a, a bunch of deleted. He's a red shirt. Yeah, <laughs> could be a bunch of deleted scenes like bill was saying right? there was a whole script behind it and they just sort of ended it there who knows um so i i guess uh the the, the thing that I, I i thought was interesting is that uh so i think that the way that the um the episode summary in memory alpha pitches it is that uh where something that like this thing that happened erased the enterprise and the federation from from history i don't know that that's actually guaranteed because really what happens is that there's no enterprise to contact but it's entirely possible the enterprise still exists it's just like at a different planet and there's there's no one up in space right now so like something that uh especially before i realized we were actually going to go go there and say like oh because she talked about peace too much it makes uh it puts pressure on the president and then makes it so that we don't go into world war ii which then uh causes um hitler to win i i was one sort of trying to think through the world dilemma of like is uh is the time is the timeline inherently good because it's what got us to where we are now and I, i was wondering like should we like is this should we kill this person or should we allow that that the timeline can get altered and maybe to a better place because it, wait we it's it's making a choice for uh trillions of people uh without uh any sort of um i, d- I don't know it, it's it, it feels interesting to me to to try to make that judgment yeah and i see it in the notes here where, where uh, one of us has written right idea wrong time that is a dangerous um thing to say right it's almost like hey pacifism's cool it's great uh, but not right now mm-hmm. um, yeah so and I, I mean it's going back to how the world um or america viewed um what had happened in the world war and we still view it in, in, in a very similar way today but the lens of 
people in the 60s right in in you got to do stuff for the greater good mm-hmm. um you know hitler won, i was also trying to draw a line from where the world would go if hitler won the war right you'd have man in the high castle again spoiler alert but um something to that effect um mm-hmm. and then maybe the terran empire who knows right but um yeah. i was you know a smarter way to do it now that we have 50 years of um um trek Uh, at our advantage in hindsight would be to like hey this is an offshoot to a mirror universe right like if if you change something um so yeah i i, I don't know and i i don't think um it's risky to say right at a wrong time right especially when you're talking about peace versus um um war right and it it's mm-hmm. it's we were sorry i apologize i don't know the exact time frame but this is around the time we had vietnam as well right 67 mm-hmm. so for sure mm-hmm. very much <clears throat> yeah i don't i don't think that would have been a, a palatable message to give to the american public in the 1960s right that like you did the wrong thing in world war ii you guys like no you know <laughs> um yeah, i mean yeah. but uh but i i thought it was interesting that um and I, i don't know if i'm reading too much into this but there was some interesting foreshadowing when they go to steal the clothes and uh Kirk is like well, yeah, well we'll steal from the rich and give to the poor later like now we just need to steal the clothes yeah uh, and so that's kind of what they conclude it's like well in, in at this time you know the the right thing is for the US to enter the war and then later on you know it'll develop into or the world will become a, a more peaceful society i yeah. i i don't know y'all i there is i i find that this is like I don't know if this is a dilemma or what, but like the idea of thinking that maybe Hitler could have won and things might have been better. Like I don't know if I I'm willing to trade the lives of people that Hitler like killed for, oh, for uh, sure. potentially better like you know like it, it just I think what you said Bill for about the 60s or I don't know Rudy which one of you said that just now I just forget, but I think that's still true, right? Like we we don't I I I wouldn't have a lot of like I I would really struggle if so if Captain Kirk and Spock showed up being like hey don't kill Hitler cuz it might really suck in like the 20th century but the 23rd century is amazing because right. of that like <laughs> I I couldn't do the... I couldn't make that trade Yeah and I... But here's the interesting way to argue it though it's not arguing that yeah. it, it's uh, I think it's more a matter of I cuz I that I bumped up against that uh the right idea at the wrong time kind of thing also um w- how could we have creatively addressed what hitler was doing nonviolent like is there a way that hitler could have been defeated nonviolently or is there i think that maybe mm-hmm. see like it seems to me like like we we have um we are so conditioned to think in the way of just war um and we find reasons to justify the wars that we engage in wonder like if we were to think um creatively and and alternatively in such a way that even the instances where we consider things to be just war is war the only option like is it truly mm-hmm. the only option mm-hmm. and that would have been an interesting way to kind of address that like like maybe peace was the right answer and maybe there was a way for that to have been effective yeah. and to have saved lives and stopped what Hitler was doing and that's probably pie in the sky and i know people think i'm a big pollyanna for saying something like that but um but i just think that we're so we just go to war so um 
easily as the solution in the face of these big problems. And that's just getting, you know, when you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, well, well you, I, you, you go to war. I mean, I think the key word that ties to going to war is insecurity. You can go to war um, feeling insecure from a position of strength. You can go to war feeling insecure from a position of weakness. So I, I think, again, not, we're not necessarily trying to say that um, going to war, or at least I wasn't trying to say that going to war with Germany was wrong. It was more around, um, considering the time frame of Vietnam as well, it's, you know, it's more around... Uh, pacifism can be a dangerous thing if you have an external foe um, mm. that, um, you know, you need to shut down quickly. And and with Hitler, yeah. you know, there's the whole Neville Chamberlain thing and how they, you know, they, they uh, yeah. schmoozed him almost for like months and they could have stopped him much earlier. And he, he made inroads into, you know, um, Austria, uh, Czechoslovakia and then Poland and that could have been stopped. So it's more around... Um, don't don't put down peace just because um, of, of of a timing thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I guess from from my perspective, it, it what kind of what I was trying to go for is that um, I think it would have been like the writers took away a lot of this argument. I think it might have been a lot more interesting where we we allow it sort of we have it open ended. Uh, we don't say that like Hitler won World War II because of what they did. And instead, it's more uh, she's doing this. Like, I don't remember this this being a big movement. And like, uh, maybe there are some discrepancies with the timeline, but not actually going to the like peace is a bad thing to go for in the 30s. So let, let me let me let me dial this back for a second and talk about what um, I mean, there was a big pacifist movement, right? in World War Two, like that was. And there's also a big isolationist during the war. Yeah, which was exactly. headed by Nazis. <laughs> right. And I think when we're talking about 20 years, 22 years after the war, that there's still an institutional memory of that. We don't have to remind ourselves. So just an mm -hmm. allusion to peace and entering the war late, in my opinion, at least, would be alluding to that side of things. Now, mm. I agree that, you know, we can, we can argue about the merits of using force versus other methods and, and all of that. I think it's a little bit dangerous when we do that in relation to the Nazis because it's uh, <laughs> in, in World War II because a lot of their like atrocities occurred before the war even started. Right. So if, mm -hmm. if the inflection point that we're talking about is America entering the war, it is a net good. Like, it, that we, we, I... I, I I don't know. I, that is a line mm. for me. Like if if and and I feel like also back then in '67 that was the the it was still seen and some people in in Britain I think some historians still have that a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about just how much people play up America's entry and this that this is not the place to discuss like could Europe have won without America or whatever, but mm. in '67 at least the view was America entering the war won the war like that. Full yeah, stop. If yeah. America had not come in, that's it. And and I think with this particular thing, you could, I think, give me a little bit of a dilemma trying to tell me, like, you know, things will really suck right now, but they might be a little bit better later. Which choice would you make? And I think as a human being, I, I value short-term things over long-term just normally, and it would be very hard mm -hmm. for me to trade away people's lives and misery right now for um, whatever 200 years from now. But... I, I do think that it's it's kind of um, 
I mean, we can discuss this in terms of Vietnam or other conflicts or whatever. But World War Two, I don't think that there's any like with with the, what Edith Keeler was doing. I think that's it would be a net bad. In my what opinion. needed to happen was actually the League of Nations needed to not do the punitive damages to world to Germany in the wake of World mm. War One, and that would not then Germany wouldn't have been this right place for someone like Hitler. So like that's that's where you know like. Like the U.S. coming into the war obviously helped turn the tide of the war, right? But like yeah. the thing that would be interesting is how could like the way you the way you defeat Hitler in the past is actually by going back twenty years earlier and changing how the the um, the terms of World War One were handled. Yeah, like it, 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 that's it's, it is kind of interesting because we. Uh, and that that does seem like that was very much on the minds of people who were sort of architecting uh, the uh, nation building that was happening after uh, World War II. It, like, that was not a thing that people really thought about in uh, World War One. It was just like, let's carve up the pieces of this empire and, like, make sure that they can never do their thing again. And, yeah. Um, and it's a tri I, tricky thing, right? Like, it, it, I think I think what we're, try we're trying to say is two things. One is the the U.S. and its role in World War II, the way it happened, was was important, necessary, all of that. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, in context of the '60s, was that being used as a template for um, intervention and timely, quote unquote, timely intervention? Therefore, Vietnam, right? Um, but if you yeah. if you fast forward some more, um, could things have gone differently immediately post Arab Spring if there were boots on the ground in Syria and you know um, lives lost? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because that didn't happen because um, you know the equivalent of ISAF or NATO was not in Syria. So, so there's there's two or three ways to look at it. Um, I, I don't think I don't think we're saying that um, you know should try to uh, you know made peace with Hitler. It's more about templatizing um, intervention um, and timely intervention when you have the force and, and the choices therein. I think we're getting away from the discussion of this episode, though, because I, I feel like that that's what I kept coming <laughs> it's so back It's so much more interesting. The question of this episode is just about, like, whether... Edith Keeler? Stop yeah, the car. Edith Keeler in, in, the, in, the, like, in 1936 talking to FDR about intervention mm -hmm. at a very specific moment. I mean, yeah, we can discuss all sorts of World War II stuff and start a new podcast for that. But we should get back to discussing <laughs> the specific moment in this episode. Bill, you look like you have something you want to add. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I, I don't think... Um, I don't think viewers at the time would have viewed this as being controversial. And mm -hmm. I mean, most viewers, myself included, don't today. I mean, so I, I think we are, I agree. I think this is getting kind of sidetracked and i think it's not it's not meant to be the main focus of the episode so let, let's let's talk about the main question right which is uh, edith killer you see the truck coming and you know that your time is dependent on that truck hitting her uh we can remove the element of you falling in love with edith killer because <laughs> we're not jim kirk okay so we, we can keep this one. Or if you want to introduce that emotional element, you can. But yeah. essentially, do you trade this one life for your reality? And with, I think someone alluded to this before. We don't know what that reality looks like, right? Like, the, I feel like this episode is trying to tell us that, like, nothing exists anymore. But um, 
would you would you trade that um i guess you also have to maybe the other thing this episode is saying it's also the nazis win because she survived so yeah what do you do in that circumstance the nazis win and therefore there is no space civilization right that's that's literally okay. what they're saying right that there's that nothing happens after that it's it's kind of implied um, though cuz there's not uh there's nothing really that shows us I, I, I don't know i i feel like it's more explicit in in say like first contact where we like literally see that earth is is basically gone before we go and kick uh, the the queen's ass uh so, so what are you going to do but like what are you gonna, uh, what are you going to do i mean i i feel like the episode took that that choice away from us to some degree like because it's it's like oh well i mean if i if i know the nazis are gonna win because like i i don't kill this lady with a truck like yeah then i'll kill the lady with the truck and feel really bad about it but luckily i'll forget next week uh when i'm off like uh womanizing somewhere else but uh the uh the No, the I, next week his brother and his wife die. His brother and brother's wife die. Oh, it's pretty grim. Poor Jim Kirk. Kirk's in for, I a, mean, for it's a bad not, month. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, I would, so, I would, yeah, I would. I would hug McCoy and, 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 you know, be really happy that he's feeling better. And yeah, I would, I would do that if, if that's the binary question on what would you do, right? Um, but I just have to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not to go back, I just have to say this: the episode is clearly <laughs> shining a light that says that peace is not the way. Because I mean, it's pretty delineated. Because Edith Keeler is Edith Keeler must die because she's gonna be because of her. She's the reason Hitler's gonna survive and and win. Like yeah, because there, Edith Keeler is pushing messages. peace. So that does that does feel like there's this message. We don't have to discuss it forever, but like I just like when you were yeah. talking that starkly, like it's still it's it does feel like there is this anti not anti peace but, but very pro war. Uh, message yeah no i completely agree with you and i think it's it's because it is undisputedly seen back then that america's intervention in the war was mm-hmm. the thing that turned the tide and beat the nazis like that yeah it, it, it is and there's no I way mean, to, today yeah. there's some there's there might be some discussion about whether that's completely true whether europe could have beaten the nazis by themselves but like back then at least and i i would still agree subscribe to that that like America's intervention was was pretty much essential. So yes, of course. I mean that that is clearly what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I I guess um, what's what's interesting is it it feels like um, I I don't I don't know exactly the sentiment in in '67, but uh, it was more towards like this the '70s that at least like more popularly like people understood like oh America sometimes does a bad thing in wars. I don't know that that was like super into mm-hmm. the the wider public right. consciousness uh, in 67. And so it's, it's, um, this is an interesting time for the episode to come out because it's, it's, I don't know how uh, they, they might've, so definitely they thought of uh, World War II as a universal good, but they also might've been thinking about all the other interventions that we'd had mm-hmm. previously have all been universal goods. And probably the current war that we're fighting is a, is a universal I, good. I think we're going to and two in the weeds. I don't think yeah. the writers were going for all of that. I think, I really think this is just about this one particular incident. Mm-hmm. And I think that the message is more about like, you have to trade a life for things going the way you want. Now, sure, you know, Kirk and Spock could have been like, um, we can l- l- try to save Edith Keeler and like 
have America enter the war, like try to do like three different things. And it, it just, I mean, think about the information that they had, right? Like if I was in their position, all I knew is that these two incidents occurred and that they weren't supposed to occur based on like, there was, there was a, I mean, we can talk about time loop theory and all this stuff, but like, essentially I would want to erase my effect on the timeline as quickly as possible. The more you try to change and try to fix, mm-hmm. it becomes a kind of like, I mean, that's year of hell, right? Like that is literally the plot of Voyager's year of mm-hmm. hell is like someone makes one change to timeline and then tries to keep changing things to try and revert to where it used to be. Um, and so it's, it's dangerous to get to that point. I think I do still think that I would have trouble though, you know, getting to know somebody and then knowing that they were going to expire it just goes against everything that's human trying to like to let somebody die in the in the like pursuit of the greater good it would be really hard no i'm not sure i could do it well and this is an interesting way to do the whole uh do we kill hitler you know if we could go back in time obviously people are like oh yeah we'd kill hitler but it's a lot harder to say that about Edith Keeler, you know, like, yeah, if you, you know, so, the, so it's, it's kind of a different, it's a more complex way to address that issue, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. Right. And there's two instances where he does, you know, the quote unquote save her once when she's, you know, just about to trip down the stairs. And the yeah. second is when she starts to cross the street from the other side, right with him. And he like, you know, stops mm-hmm. her. Uh, he does that with Spock as well. So, um, so he he it's almost like there's he's and the the interesting part is you don't know what is the moment right and are there going to be more moments is time like a river that's going to you know continuously try to keep things the way they were or not um so um and in the end and, and there's also obviously like I built said a causality paradox the the reason she crosses back is because Jim and 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 Spock are there to find you know, um, the doctor and the doctor, um, I mean, the reason she crosses the road is not because of the doctor so much as because Spock and Jim are there. So that's your paradox. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move us on to taking a break. We'll be back with more story and writing characters, characterizations, much more stuff. Captain's log, no star date. McCoy has changed the course of time. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Now. All right, come on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What? One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom. Speculation. I find her most uncommon, Mr. Spock. Assassins! I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler must die. Oh, Jim! Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're discussing City on the Edge of Forever. Time to talk about story and writing. I feel like music should also be part of this because I feel like the audio production, it's just so jarring. Like the second Edith Keeler shows up, like the like, you know, twinkly, like romantic music kicks up and like Kirk is giving her like, you know, glances and it's it's all so strange. Uh, I mean, this is 60s production, right? This is what happened um, back then. But it's just so corny. It is. It yeah, is. it super is. 
They just but, don't know uh, how to. Well, I mean, and that goes hand in hand with they just don't know how to write women either. <laughs> I mean, like they don't they light women and write music for women and write lines for women that are all so super misogynistic and chauvinistic and just gross. I'm frightened, Captain, or whatever. Captain, I'm frightened. <laughs> right, I can't remember right. what Uhura says. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Like there's no reason for her to be that damsel in distress. Uh, I'm scared. You, you know, I'm, it's just yeah, so like, gross. No, everyone's scared because the enterprise is gone. Like history might have been erased. It's <laughs> yeah. a good reason to be scared. We don't need to focus on that. She just like randomly says it, and everyone stares at her. <sighs> yeah, it's it's egregious. I mean, in the the original series, like anytime anything happens on the ship, like the women like faint or you know mm-hmm. fall um, into someone's arms. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, it's um, and it's it's funny because like in in some ways Edith Keeler's character has kind of this almost, I mean there's there's a social benefit aspect to it that's actually quite progressive, right? We see this person caring for the um, folks who are on the fringes of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and it's it you know she doesn't question. Kirk and Spock saying that they've run from the cops that they've stolen some clothes. She's like, yeah, that's that's cool. No worries. Just let, let me give you some productive work that you can earn some money. I'm not going to call the cops on you. So, like, there's some really, like, socially progressive aspects of her character as well uh, written into this episode, which, again, I mean, in the 60s is the heyday of, like, um, you know, I feel like it's the apex of, like, the, the police procedural on TV almost. And so you, you could have easily seen what Kirk and Spock did, like Vulcan nerve pinching the cop and like running away and being criminals is kind of a very bad thing. Uh, just in, in terms of the, the writers could have portrayed it that way, but instead we're just given this compassionate view um, of, of that, which is refreshing, I guess. Well, and I found, so Edith Keeler so interesting when she was giving, there were, so I forgot at which point McCoy comes into the episode when I was watching it this time. Mm-hmm. Even I've seen this episode. This is probably one of the original series episodes I've seen the most. But um, mm-hmm. so when she was talking, I was like, oh, she must have already talked to McCoy. And that's why she had somehow he said something that in mm-hmm. his, you know, Corgazine induced stupor <laughs> craze, he said something that indicated what the future's like, you know, because everything she said, but it's like really so, so she's she's playing the role of you know the christian woman who is opening up a a shelter or a soup kitchen because this is what jesus tells us to do right like that's basically Mm -hmm. the character that she is except her bible is star trek so because star trek doesn't want to be so jesus-y um because gene roddenberry was atheist and you know he's very focused on humanism and so i mean but it was like so totally the bible of star trek is what she was preaching and what the future is going to be. And so I just found Mm -hmm. that to be kind of an interesting aspect of, of um, what she was saying. And also, you know, and her insistence that the people who stay at her, um, this is what makes, so she kind of falls into this more evangelical Christian camp because she's insistent that the people who stay at her facility or getting food at her facility have to listen to her preach and have to listen to her share Mm -hmm. this gospel, Um, which, you know, there are two, there are, two ways of doing that. There are some that feel you real, it's really important that you have people who stay engage in, you know, prayer groups or Bible studies or attend a worship service, or you have the people who are just like, we're just going to live this love, 
and that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna experience the gospel is by how we are treating you and how we are caring for you rather than by what we're saying at you you know anyway so i just found that interesting so she's a, she's the evangelical variety of uh of Star you know, Trek the space bible, bible. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i we were talking about this in the break, but again, something I referred to in the strange new take, which is that there were, I mean, we don't really get to the moral dilemma aspect of this episode until so late. Most of this episode is consumed in like Kirk falling in love and Spock building this computer to try and figure out what happens. Even the like beginning of the episode, the setup with like the temporal waves or whatever that are like giving turbulence is really long. Um, and I, I feel like, it's, it's interesting to consider how different this episode could have been and how it would have ended if 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 we had just got to the crux of the matter much quicker I feel like it's it's almost I, I don't I don't want to say it's clumsy because it's not but it's a little clunky how they like are focusing on like we gotta figure out this trike order and how to like make it work and that'll give us the like idea what went wrong and so most of the episode is that rather than I feel like if this episode was written today it would just be like Spock being like, yep, Tricorder tells me what's happening. And then the whole episode is basically consumed in the moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. There's a mm -hmm. whole bunch of discussions about in-depth discussions. Picard goes and stands up against a window and, like, philosophizes. <laughs> Janeway decides to kill Edith Killer with a knife herself, <laughs> slit her throat. <laughs> uh, um, and, and Cisco, like pays the the Cardassians to do it for him like that you know there would have been like all, much more focus on uh, on all of those things whereas here it's just like Kirk's on a walk oh there's a truck boom done I like, mean the, 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 you you're you're joking but actually uh, Michael Burnham might have had a good solution to this is beam uh, Edith Keeler to the future she seems like she has some pretty great ideas and that would solve the problem and we'd be able to save the galaxy and Edith Keeler all at once Actually, yeah. that's a really good question. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> yeah, I, so, I, the, yeah, I mean, the, 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 since we didn't get here via the method that we used to meet Gary Seven, I feel where like the Enterprise can just go back to the '60s because it's a thing, uh, and <laughs> which, if you're completely unaware, that's there's an episode where they just go to the '60s, and it's like in the uh, captain's log is like we're back in the '60s uh, because we can. Mm -hmm. uh, you just and, fly around the sun. That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, and, and it's that was the backdoor pilot flare. for that was that was a backdoor pilot for an intended series featuring Gary Seven. By the way, that episode really? too. and it, it would have been yep. an extremely bad series based on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's I, I I feel like since we're not in control of the method that we use to get to go back in time, maybe that's why it doesn't occur to them. But yeah. Well, but then, then it would totally remove the dilemma, and the, I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Is that you know, Edith Fair needs to die, and I... yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at this as 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 a moral dilemma episode because we've picked it as such, right? I think there <laughs> there is value in the fact that um, they are they don't they don't show it's Edith Keeler right at the beginning because they want to try and keep us to try and keep us guessing on where that that inflection point is so i think that's that's a part of the delivery and even going through our conversations in, in the last um 30 minutes or so we're trying to look at this in so many different ways right because we are we are now aware of slicing and dicing a situation um from a moral standpoint from a temporal standpoint because of the 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 view we have the hindsight that we have for them it was 
you know, very simple, right? Kill her or not right at the end, but you don't, you don't know what causes the change. So, you know, that's that. Um, the, the other thing I, I feel was um, we're looking back at how writing and perception was in the 60s, whereas when the episode was, was written, it was a view back on, on the 30s, right? So there's like a nested um, um, uh, perception there. So there may be a lot lost in us looking back two levels deep. Um, so there is a moral dilemma. It's, just, it's, it's, not, it's not the crux of the episode. I think the crux of the episode is um, something changed, you know, and we try to find out what it is. And, and we look mm-hmm. at these people trying to build computers in a way that is, um, you know, um, even ancient maybe for the 60s, right? Like people were on their way to the moon almost by then. So what Spock was building in his in his room there may have been a little more ancient. So it's, it's more around that. And, and yeah, it's the decision in the end is you're kind of, you're kind of not sure when it happens and when it happens, it's supposed to catch you and and catch you off guard. And that's what it does. So I think in that sense, it it delivers. Okay. Yeah. And the thing about Spock building the computer, I mean, not it's, it's a fair point. I think you're, you're right that it's kind of time wasted. Um, But it's still, you know, it shows that it's hard, right? They have to work for mm-hmm. it. They have something that needs to be yeah. done that's challenging. Um, but it, you know, and of course, to, to a, a modern viewer, it's totally absurd, right? He has this tricorder, which I don't know, has like, like petabytes of like memory, or is just like insanely. Yeah. <laughs> but and that's not good enough, right? That can't do it. But if you add like six uh, vacuum tubes to it, then you actually can <laughs> do the thing you need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I was kind of wondering, like, is is he just does he just need to build a monitor? Is like the problem that it doesn't have a TV screen on it, and that's like why he can't figure out where this is. I, no, I don't. I think the yeah. I think the monitor is on the tricorder itself. I think what he's. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, I was a little bit unsure as like what. Yeah, but I I mean, so the thing is, I I still appreciated all of that setup because it that got me sort of the the feel good of like. Like, I just love seeing these people go back in time and, like, having the dilemma of, like, I need to have five pounds of, uh, uh, what was, uh, platinum. And, right. and like, just, and we, we get, like, that classic fight of, of, like, the, the engineer, like, I, I cannot, like, I need to have these things. And, like, well, we, we literally don't have that. So can you just, please just, like, lower your standards and build a, a crappier thing, like okay i guess <laughs> and dude kirk doesn't offer to help at all right yeah yeah <laughs> like okay if you're the like the captain of a ship and like there's 400 people you like delegate okay you're the captain but it's just you two yeah. and couldn't he offer like oh i'll try to solder something or how could i be useful no yeah, he like, just James, he just is like damn it spock do it quicker you know <laughs> yeah that's i mean that's that's how he he rules the enterprise rules uh that's how he uh, leads on the enterprise is just asking scotty if he can do it in half the time right uh, <laughs> and i i found it interesting that they also didn't take anybody back other than kirk and spock like they which i guess you're trying to limit your intervention but at the same time it's like why don't you bring one like you know well, the- scotty or like why leave them behind they they, they did uh, call that out though is that, that it's uh i think they said like if if we don't get it done like each of you needs to then go back in time and try to fix this thing. So, like, we need to, like, would uh, Lieutenant mm. Galloway have been able to do the deed uh, and go kill her when everyone else had failed? Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Know. How long do they wait, right? There is, I mean, time does not have meaning. Like, do they wait a day or do they wait like two years <laughs> or, or five seconds, right? Uh, but uh, I think maybe they were trying to reduce uh, production complexity. I, I have no reason why more wouldn't go back. It makes for an interesting, like every other time travel episode that I remember, whether it's TNG and, and Data and all of them going back and then with DS9, um um and mm-hmm. and data and and Guinan and then again with Voyager right there's a bunch of people going back right and at different times and that creates plot complexity i again think at this point in time for TOS in in the late 60s it was very linear very simple um didn't want to you know um confuse the viewers with too much so simple well, causality loop two people uh, i mean two they- people the answer to that is that uh, Spock wrote a white paper uh, and a case study on why you need to have more than two people go back in time because it's, it, it, you have to build a whole computer by yourself or whatnot. And so it's a best practice by the time uh, Janeway and them are doing this. They just also, don't forget, board. at this point, Spock has sent his sister and an entire ship of people into the future. So, just understand <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah. part of the continuity. <laughs> oh my god. So, You're right. <laughs> um, yeah, he should have thought of the future thing. <laughs> okay, I, I, I will also say that it was a little strange to see how they like portrayed the guardian of the, 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 uh, of forever. It was really funny. It's just like, he's like, I am basically telling you explaining myself in a way that your puny brains can understand you <laughs> dumb fucks like y'all are such idiots <laughs> you, you cannot possibly understand anything that i do <laughs> it's just spock is just like what the fuck you want to go right here put him up <laughs> um, and, and there's there's a little bit of humor there right so that's where um kirk is kind of like you know um he's laughing internally or pulling spock's leg and then you know a little while later when um kirk is trying to explain himself to the to the policeman spock is is you know giving it back so i I like that banter back and forth um between the two so i'll give you a little bit of trivia on the writing of this episode this episode is supposed to be quite serious and it was it was written actually with elements of drug use involved and gene roddenberry shot that down as as basically being like there's no drug use on future starships don't worry about it so we can't have that and so then it it, it the script got written and rewritten a bunch and then there was um a one of the writers infused a whole bunch of comedy into the script which then the other writer got really mad about and wanted to be given a uh, special named credit you know how folks when they're really upset with work that they've done they ask for a anonymous credit essentially uh, a fake name or something like that that's what the the writer who got pissed off on and gene roddenberry is like no everybody in the industry knows that when when you use this one name it means that you're not proud of the work i'm not gonna let you do that so your gonna name is gonna appear on this episode so uh the, the script went through a few revisions i guess and the comedy elements were one of the more like controversial <laughs> inclusions in this hmm I mean, I mean, I guess that 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 makes me wonder if if that was a thing that they played for comedy. Then, if that if that's sort of what happened, but maybe that's also why it's a little bit confusing the uh, where the the guy kills himself, um, like tonally. But, uh, well, hmm? I yeah, lost a thing to say. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, it was so it was Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison was yeah. the one who wrote the original drug use script, and he was the one who wanted his name removed at the end after he saw what had actually happened to the script and all the rewrites and uh, where yeah. it came to. And Gene L. Kuhn was the person who put in a whole bunch of uh, jokes, yokes in there. Yeah, and the, the racism. Yes, is, yes, specifically it, actually the racism. Uh, no, and, I'm not kidding. Like that is yeah, part that is quoted. Yeah. So oh. I, I, I'm, this is just occurring to me now. Doesn't in TNG when they have that awesome two-parter where Data has to go get his head in San Francisco, um, <laughs> does it? Doesn't Data also say that he is Chinese? Isn't that part of the shtick? Uh, uh, I think possibly. I think yeah, so. I, I, I remember some sort they of just, joke like that. That's like their code for foreign. Yeah. Like, right, it just seemed, right. Well, and you know, like, so the other thing that stood out to me, uh, clearly Edith Keeler is taken by Captain Kirk, and she's very suspicious of the foreign-looking man who's with him. You know, like, and it just mm-hmm. so kind of has, I don't know, that jumped out at me also. Um, and this is totally an aside, but I had to throw this in there, how when they're getting dressed, Kirk has his shirt half-buttoned, um, but uh, Spock's is already buttoned all the way up to the top, you know, because they have to show how sexy Kirk is while he's getting dressed. But it made me think of how um, Lucille Ball didn't want Vivian Vance to wear false eyelashes on I Love Lucy. She wanted to be the only one wearing false eyelashes because she was the star <laughs> of the show. So it made me wonder if um, if uh, uh, Bill Shatner had some sort of clause that only he he was the only one that was allowed to, you know, have his Wait, are you, his are you suggesting that William Shatner might be vain and petty? <laughs> Contractually. I'm really confused about why anyone would suggest that. I, I enjoyed also, um, speaking of, of tropey stuff, the when McCoy goes into the transporter room at the beginning, he just like gives the the transporter chief like karate chops. He's like, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, yes. the, the guy's like, oh, I'm dead. You hit my pressure points. <laughs> it was lower decks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so, so that was, that was pretty, uh, pretty hilarious. And, yeah, it's so another little bit of trivia. So the, the sets that they used for this, they use the same sets that are used for the Andy Griffith show. And there's a bunch of like, uh, I've not watched the Andy Griffith show, but there's a bunch. Of, I think like the barber shop in the Andy Griffith show is actually like visible in this episode. Um, oh, interesting. And, and so, so I mean, it's clear like they're using like sets that are on the Paramount. I, yeah. I forget if it's the Paramount lot or exactly where they were, but they're they're well, using. Well, th- the, there's like, even that scene New where they they. When they they run away from the policeman, I'm pretty sure they go back into the same alley they just ran away from after like going that, around the yeah. block. It's <laughs> just yeah. a hilarious uh, escape attempt. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to summarize, right? Like looking looking back at uh, we've done some older episodes. I think this is the oldest one we've done so far, right? In, in this podcast. Um, I'm kind of caught between two emotions or experiencing both of them. One is, oh my God, things were so different and weird and appalling a long time ago. And, and then you get to laugh at it and in a, in a positive way and say, oh, we've come that far. Um, and then at the same time, you're like, oh my God, things were so appalling and, and weird and... Oh, it, it, it's important for us to continue to um, 
focus on such things because they can always creep back up and, and linger and resurface. So what do you guys feel about that, right? Like just in just viewing old things. and Yeah, I, I think that um, if so, so I've seen all of TOS and I enjoy it. Like I, I think there are some really good episodes and I enjoy watching them. But I think if you if you can't get past all the 60s stuff, so whether it's like the cheesy um, visual effects or the, the sexism or, well, I, I shouldn't say that you should get, try to get past the sexism. But if you <laughs> exactly. If you, no, but if you, I mean, it's, it's a product of its time. Right. And, yeah. and we were chatting earlier. I mean, it's, it's like super sexist, but um, at the time it was considered to be quite progressive. Right. Cause they had women on the bridge. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, but if that, if that, if that's just like, if you watch watch it and all you see is that stuff, right? I don't think I don't. I think it's probably not worth it, or it's you, you know, you. It's it'll make it hard to access the the story underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, it's it's just how we view history, right? I'm not saying you got to do one or the other. It, it's just this dichotomy that I feel. Sorry. I think well, it's important think to look the, at the context of something that it was made in, and you know, like I think that's yeah. you know, even if it makes you mad, like we want to go back and ban a lot of works that were written in times when people weren't necessarily showing the same cultural sensitivity that we show now. It's absolutely important for us to talk about people in ways that give them dignity and worth. But I also don't think we can go back and retroactively cancel everything that happened in the 19th century or whatever that didn't do that. Like, like let's learn from it and let's, let's, let's uh, enter into conversation with those things and talk about how both, uh, there's the moral yeah, but, dilemma, right? Like, like both both ways of looking at it are interesting. Like, yeah, we we should understand that like all of or a lot of the uh, founding people in the country were slave owners, but uh, there are other conversations we should we can have. And I I think that yeah, the the reality is that we c- we can examine these these things from multiple different perspectives. I think it's it's the idea of whether you're adding the context to it, right? Like if, if TOS was shown in syndication today, like it, I think TOS is not as problematic as like a whole bunch of other things. Like there's, mm-hmm. I mean, the, you think about like just some of the, the movies that we used to watch in high school and some of the casual homophobia in them and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's, it's the ability, I think, I think it's critical to like, to be able to present people with an idea of how to critically think about these things and i think for example us talking about the fact that the sexism exists i think is is one good way to like watch this show i think it, it mm-hmm. makes no sense not to watch it i do also understand though that there are other people who just view this and be like i can't get through it and just like you were saying bill like i think that's completely legitimate for some people just to be like this is too much i can't i can't deal with you know maybe they're reading um uh tom sawyer or whatever it is and they just don't like the treatment of people and i i i'm not going to be somebody that says this is great tv like seminal star trek how dare you like you know are unable to watch it i think it comes down sometimes to that to your ability to critically think about these things you're just not accepting like okay star trek showed it so it's okay now Mm -hmm. um but also your ability to like make that decision for yourself and i I, I don't think it's fair of one of us to, to just to tell somebody else that like they have to uh, get over it and, and just right. watch it. And, and I think but it's I think it's also OK for you to be like, I can contextualize it. And so mm-hmm. I am going to enjoy it. Getting away from just the problematic stuff, though, I will say that I find it still find it exceedingly hard to watch TOS. I gave it the old college try about 
two years ago. I couldn't. I made it four episodes in, and I was just like, no, this is not. Watch it with Mission Log. That makes it easier. Just I'm I'm totally calling out another podcast. But if you listen to to Mission Log, along with watching TOS, it makes it so much easier to get through. If you want to ever, I'm a completionist. I want to watch every single thing that has been made by Star Trek, and I had a Mm -hmm. really hard time with TOS. And that's what made it possible for me to actually complete okay. all the episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, I, I did this. I did the same thing from uh, with a prompting from Emily, yeah. and uh, I got all the way through original series and then the animated series. And I just I had to stop watching Star Trek for like two years. <laughs> uh, well, I'll I'll just wait until we cover it too. You know, like you I feel like all the good ones we will probably cover. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm happy to do that. And so anyway, just but just I I wanted to say like I. For a long time, I was like, I should do this. I should do this. And then I gave it a shot, and it didn't work so much for me. But, yeah. hey, um, I want to see, and maybe there's more discussion we can do during this. Uh, I want to see what your ratings are going to be. And specifically, before we stick our necks out and, and give this episode a rating, should we rate it in its context, or should we rate it how we view it now? And, like, just unbiased. I don't know which I which think one. we should grade on a curve, right? So, look, for a TOS episode... What's the rating? Okay. I think we. Sh- I that's what I would suggest. I, I, I'm gonna echo uh, uh, what Notch was talking about. Is uh, some people make, can rate it how how they feel. Some some, <laughs> some of us can do it uh, in the the context, okay. and some of us can rate it as if it is now. <laughs> Multi-dimensional right. rating. Do do whatever you want. All right, who wants to stick their neck out? Uh, I I think I'll I'll, I'll give this one a start. Um, for me, uh, I think I. This episode, it like yeah, it has a lot of problems, and there's like some weird messages that it's giving throughout. But uh, there were moments of this that it just it feels like just classic sci-fi short story type uh, premises that I I love, like uh, Arthur C. Clarke type type stuff. And it's just I I I just I love the um, sort of that dilemma of like do do you. Uh, trade this person's life to in order to save like preserve the timeline or whatever and uh there's also there's just um i don't know it it has lots of just like a good classic feelings to to parts of it like i i like all the a lot of the banter that kirk and spock have uh and it's so for for me uh i don't exactly know i'm probably so it's not entirely like con uh i'm putting it in its proper 60s context or whatever but i'm at least putting on nostalgia goggles a bit when i watch this episode and I'm gonna rate it an eight uh, because I, I think it's a uh, it's it's an episode that's important in the larger like Star Trek timeline or whatever, and it's just uh, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I'm I'm gonna go with a similar thought process. I think it did a lot for Star Trek, not just in TOS, but in terms of temporal um, loops going forward. It was simple, but but in you know. At the same time, must have been extremely involving at the time, um, so I'll I'll give it eight point five va- exploding vacuum diodes out of out of ten, um, and um, yeah, it it was good to go back and and there was a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, I'll I'll um, even do one better. I'll give it a nine. I think. Um... There are just for my tastes. I like things that have a little bit more kind of intrigue and 
swashbuckling and you know so maybe i don't know if you guys know the enterprise incident that's probably my favorite um tos episode anyway um but yeah i mean huh. it's, it's a really good it's like a nice kind of classic sci-fi story like you say adam and you know creative use of of the paradox and time travel and it was uh, emotionally resonant right which most of these tos episodes are not um even if it seems kind of clumsy and mm -hmm. you know based on our standards today so um yeah i, th I think it I think it's really good. <clears throat> I have I have a hard time with this because, like, you know, I have my like rewatchability threshold that I give stuff to, but there is I don't really have a desire to rewatch <laughs> TOS. <laughs> so I I think I it's it's a real tussle. It's a moral dilemma for me whether to <laughs> rate it as it should uh, as with my preference or just in a vacuum of what. Of appreciating the art um yeah i i think i'm gonna give this a 6.5 because it's i i can see the core sci-fi i just wish that they had got to it a little bit quicker and i think if the writing had been if they had if they had handled a few if, if the middle of the episode had just been a little tighter i think i might have hit a 7 or 7.5 or 8 for me but it just uh i did i think the beginning and the ends were the strongest parts I'm going to give this a three out of five because of the soft focus that is used so much on Edith Keeler. It ruins it. Like, I mean, I'm viscerally angry whenever it happens. And so there, and, and I'm even rating that within TOS because there are some TOS episodes that they may do that, but there's enough other stuff that's happening in the episode. I'm able, I'm able to overlook it a little. Mm -hmm. um, and this one just doesn't have as much stuff, but I am totally in agreement with you, Bill there is emotional resonance in this episode. I mean, uh, say what you want about William Shatner, you definitely feel what he's feeling in that moment when Edith Keeler mm -hmm. is struck by the car. Like that was, that really was an emotional scene. And so I really appreciated that. And it's kind of, but it was just, it was six minutes of the episode um, and that couldn't make up yeah. for all of the soft focus, so. <laughs> all right, well. Thank you for rating this episode. I think uh, I'm pretty excited to see what we do with Dear Doctor next week because it's. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've watched it recently. It is it is tough, in my opinion, um, to to really grapple with the question of that one. Um, and so I'm excited for us to get there. I'm also excited to see Enterprise again. I I, I actually genuinely like Enterprise uh, over the years. It, it has. I, I liked it at the time, and I think it has it has worked on me over the years. I will confess. To liking the theme as well and uh, I used to think that I only liked the new version that came in the season three but now I actually prefer the season one and two version um, so we can discuss that at some point and whether you're like, going to kick me off the show now uh, <laughs> but anyway uh, thank you Adam thank you Bill thank you Emily thank you Rudy for being here today I very much appreciate it thank you Notch. Thanks, Notch. Thanks, Notch. thanks Notch yeah, of course. Thank you, Max and Dinah, wherever y'all are, whatever y'all are doing. Thank you, Jishnaguha, for our theme music. Uh, he's got a podcast named Geekfruit that you can check out if you want. And uh, special thanks to the random guy who did a whoopsie and vaporized himself with McCoy's phaser. Without you, we wouldn't realize that some of us are entirely meaningless to the time. <laughs> Oh, oh <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.